Thank you. Thank you again, church, for joining with us. I was watching online and kind of keeping up with who all is checked in this morning and who all is watching. Looks like we have about 85, 86 different devices that are tuning in this morning. And so thank you for doing that. As I said a second ago, our, our plan, our hope is to once again be able to have a combination of in-person gatherings as well as live stream next Sunday. Um, we, uh, we started back a few weeks ago and because of uh, the situation in our child care center uh, a couple of weeks ago, we felt it best to uh, not have any in-person gatherings, but we're looking forward to having people back in the building next week. And we hope that uh, you will be able to join us. Um, we will be going by the same protocols that we did before uh, with two worship services, uh, one at 9 and one at 1030. We will be having a number of uh, people who will be helping us in our welcome team, getting people in the building, getting people seated. Um, we will be uh, spacing people out. Uh, and we hope that we will be able to enjoy more, pe more people in the room next week. So make plans to join us if you can next week. Uh, and uh, we, we appreciate you, uh, your faithfulness in uh, joining in over this live stream over the last uh, almost 10 or 12 weeks now. Um, I've been very encouraged by some of the comments that I've gotten from church members who have been watching every week who speak about missing being with the church family, but feeling as though uh, this has brought still some sort of connection to church. Um, and so thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, thank you for your support, uh, both personally, financially, as a church throughout this entire uh, situation that we've been going through. So again, thank you for that. And before we look at our text this morning, I also want to speak uh, just a, a brief word about what's going on in our nation and our response as Christians. As pastors, we are called not only to speak the truth of the Word of God each week, uh, but we're also called to speak into current events that are happening and how we as believers should respond. And so uh, I want to speak just briefly about our nation and the events that have happened this week as our nation has been rocked by the unjust killing of a man by now that you know of by the name of George Floyd, as well as the subsequent protests and riots that have taken place in response across our nation. Like many of you, I watched the gruesome video this week uh, of uh, Mr. Floyd's death. I was grieved and my heart was crushed as I heard his cries uh, that he couldn't breathe. I was angry. Uh, I felt anger inside as I saw this man's life taken from him. It grieves me deeply to know that this man, this image bearer of God, and apparently a brother in Christ was unjustly uh, had his life taken from him in such a horrific manner. And my heart is also broken for my brothers and sisters in the African-American community for whom this is the latest in a series of acts of injustice. And names like George Floyd and Amard Aubrey and Eric Garner and many others should make us grieve during this time. It's past time for racial discrimination and injustice to stop. And it is time for all of us as Christians of all color to stand together for the cause of justice. And I've been very convicted this last few days that as a church, we cannot be silent when we see injustice in our world. We must speak loudly and clearly about the intrinsic value of all of God's image bearers. And we must remember that God's image bearers have no preferential skin tone. Racism may be an uncomfortable topic for some of us because of the culture in which we grew up. And because for many of us, racist tentacles still exist within our families. But while it may be an uncomfortable topic, silence is not an option. We cannot hide behind the veil of silence thinking that saying nothing is better than endorsing racist thoughts and sentiments. We are called as followers of Christ to speak out against injustice in all forms, whether that is the sin of racism, whether that is the martyrdom of brothers and sisters in Christ, whether that is the trafficking of young girls or the plight of immigrants that are in our midst. 
As gospel-transformed people, we must remember that we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. We are called to be ambassadors of Christ. We are called by our King to be peacemakers. And we are called to be agents of justice and agents of change. But most of all, we need to pray. As God's people, we need to pray. We need to pray for the healing of our nation. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting right now. We need to take time to listen to their voices before feeling the need to add our own to the conversation. And when we do speak, we need to speak clearly and loudly about the cause of justice. And I would encourage you to be very careful, brothers and sisters, about the comments that you put on social media that do not reflect the gospel and do not reflect God's heart for all people. And I would just say, from my own personal experience, that if your comments are not laced with grace and peace, then it's probably best to keep them to yourself at this time. And so I'd ask you before we look to God's Word this morning, if you would just join me in prayer as we pray for this situation and pray for our nation. So would you pray with me, Father in heaven? We come to you this morning as your people, even though we can't be in this room collectively praying, we can, we can pray in each of the locales that we are right now, and we can unite under the, the banner of the Holy Spirit, and we can pray and ask you, Holy Father, to pour your Spirit out upon our nation, to pour your Spirit out upon our leaders God, we pray that you would give our leaders of our nation today not only a heart of wisdom, but God, we pray that you would give them a heart of justice and a heart of grace. God, we pray that as people who are called to speak into this situation, that our leaders would speak into it in such a way that brings peace and resolution to the situations that are going on. We pray for those that are hurting right now, that feel as though another act of injustice has been perpetrated. Father, we pray that you would bring healing to them right now. We pray that you would would assuage their anger and that you would cause all of us as, as people to look to you, the only one who can bring hope and healing in the midst of conflict and chaos. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us as the church to be clear, to be bold, to be courageous in this time. God, we pray that you would cause us as brothers and sisters in Christ to be peacemakers above all else. You said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And we want to be your sons and daughters in this time right now. We want to be agents of peace. And so help the words that we speak and the things that we put on social media Help them to be things that lead us into peace and not to exasperate chaos during this time. Father, our nation needs healing. Our nation needs hope. Our nation needs you. And help us to be the agents of gospel hope during this time. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much for... That Now I'm going to ask you if you have a copy of God's Word and you haven't already opened up to Acts chapter 6, that you would do so. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 this morning as we are in the final week of our series that we started four weeks ago called Unleashed, being an Acts 1-8 church in an Acts 8-1 world. We are, we are talking about what it means to be a missional church, to, to follow the missional mandate of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Acts 1-8 in, a, in an Acts 8-1 world where this global virus has scattered the church in many ways that many of us have never experienced before. We're in, we're in a, a very strange place in the church around the world today as, as churches are still in many places unable to gather together uh, to worship But how do we continue to take the gospel? How do we continue to to plant the seeds of gospel hope in a a world where the church, as many of us have have known it for most of our lives, is not able to operate by, by the same kinds of experiences and habits that we've operated with in decades? And 
just by way of review from this, from this whole series, we've, we've seen this central truth that is, is borne out in the book of Acts, and that is that the gospel doesn't just create a religious organization, but the gospel creates a transformed people. And that if we're going to be an Acts 1-8 missional church in a, in a chaotic Acts 8-1 world, then we have to understand that the, the purpose of the gospel is not to create institutional organized religion. It's not to create religious country clubs where members can gather together to go through their religious and spiritual motions, but the gospel creates a people who are transformed from death to life, a people who are transformed from, 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 uh, from hopelessness to hope, and that that transformed people are then sent out into the world to be disciples who make other disciples. And so we've seen that when the gospel takes root in a people, it creates and unleashes us to be transformed disciples on mission to make other disciples of Jesus. And to do this, there are several key components we see in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 6. Things such as relational community and bold witness and radical generosity. <laughs> we saw in Acts chapter 2 that within the first few months of Jesus' ascension, the early church was not an organized religious movement, but it had become a community of disciples who devoted themselves to sound doctrine, to deep relational fellowship, and to prayer. And that as a church, that we need to be devoted to those, things, those same things. We need to be a community of believers who are devoted to sound doctrine and to deep interpersonal relationships with one another and to praying together as God's people. That's biblical community. We saw in Acts chapter 4 verses 5 through 22 that the gospel empowers us as disciples to be bold witnesses who don't cower in fear at the threats of the powerful and the elite, but instead we are to boldly declare, just as Peter and John did, the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard about Jesus. We saw last week in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37, that the transforming grace of God that is lavishly poured out in salvation creates disciples who respond with radical generosity to the personal and spiritual needs of others around them. And that if we want to accomplish the great commission that Jesus has given us, it will be only as we as Christ followers display personal sacrifice and radical generosity with the resources that God has given us. Today I want us to see a fourth component that is critical to us as being unleashed, and that is to be unleashed for what I would call biblical ministry. Because the gospel that we believe not only saves us, but empowers us to be a place where personal and corporate challenges are met by the people of God being ministers of the gospel to one another. That as a, an organized group of people, whenever you get an organized group of people together, there are going to be challenges that come up. There are going to be needs that need to be met. And that the gospel empowers us to meet those needs as all of us in the church collectively serve as the ministers of the gospel to one another and to the world around us. At this point in Acts chapter 6, when we read this passage that we're about to read, the numbers of those in Jerusalem who were claiming to be disciples of Jesus had grown to several thousand. Biblical scholars estimate that, that the, the, the followers of Jesus, known simply as the way, that the followers of Jesus by this time may have numbered in the tens of thousands. Now think about that for a moment. The verbal testimony, these, these are people... Who, who spread the gospel with, without the benefit of the New Testament as we have it today. They spread the gospel simply through verbal testimony. And the verbal testimony of about a hundred people who had walked with Jesus and witnessed His powerful works had resulted within just a few months to the salvation of potentially tens of thousands of people. You see, people were hungry for good news, people were hungry for the gospel. And the disciples knew that they had a message that people needed to hear. 
And so they simply gave testimony of Christ everywhere they went and thousands of people heard the gospel and believed. And, and I am just foolish enough to believe that that same hunger for the gospel exists in our culture today. And that if we were to do just as the early followers of Jesus Christ and simply be clear about who Jesus is and the message of the gospel and to speak that into the people that God places in our path, we could see the same kind of transformative effect in our community, in our nation, and in our world as God unleashes us to be disciples who make disciples. Now we would expect that all of these new Jesus followers were so excited about Christ that everything every week seemed like a great family reunion all the time. And in many ways, that was true. Because God was knitting together this new spiritual family, they were radically devoted to spending time together. And we also see that that devotion led them to acts of sacrificial generosity towards one another. But just like in all families, sometimes when families get together, challenges arise and conflicts ensue. And we want to read about one of those today and how the followers of Jesus handled that. So if you would, read in Acts chapter 6 with me, verses 1 through 7. The Bible tells us, now in these days when the disciples were increasing, the, 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 the spread of the gospel was, was still continuing, and many, many people were coming to faith in Christ. As the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows, the Hellenists, were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I want us to see three things this morning. The first of those I want us to see is the challenge that threatened the mission. I want us to see the challenge that rose here in Acts chapter 6 that threatened the mission of God. We see that in verses 1 and 2 when it says there was a, there was a complaint that arose as, as, the, as the movement of Jesus continues to add hundreds and hundreds of people to it. And as the, as the followers of Jesus begin to get larger in number, there comes a complaint within the body of Christ. As the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because the Hellenist widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. One of the things I most appreciate about God's Word, and one of the reasons why I believe that God's Word is so trustworthy is because it gives us an honest picture of the characters who follow God, warts and all. The Bible isn't just a religious book that presents to us sugar-coated stories that give us inspirational pictures of biblical heroes. Instead, it shows us that the people that God uses also have faults. For instance, you know that David was characterized as being a man after God's own heart. But the Bible also tells us that he was an adulterer and a conspirator in the murder of the woman's husband with whom he had adultery. And yet we see David repenting of that sin and seeking the Lord and God using him in a very powerful way. We know that Abraham is the father of all those who have faith in God, yet we see his faith waver in Egypt as he lies about Sarah being his wife because in that moment he was more afraid of Pharaoh than he was of honoring Jehovah. Even Peter, the great apostle of Pentecost and the pillar of the church, was guilty many times of foot and mouth disease and even had to be called out publicly by the apostle Paul because even after preaching and seeing thousands of people come to Christ, 
He was also guilty of allowing racial bias to influence the way that he related to Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. It would be very easy for Luke to only give us personal accounts in the book of Acts of all of the works of the apostles and the tens of thousands of peoples whose lives were changed. It would be easy for him just to give us that, to show us the glory of the expansion of the gospel, but, but he also gives us stories like that we read last week of Ananias and Sapphira. And here in Acts chapter 6, he shows us that while the gospel brought the spiritual transformation of thousands of people, it also dredged up some deep ethnic tensions that had existed in that culture for a long time. And we see the challenge that threatened the mission as a large number of widows in this newly formed church were in need of help and assistance. As widows, they often didn't have a dependable source of income. They depended upon their husbands to provide for them, and when their husbands died, they were dependent upon their family to support them. And in many cases, they didn't have family that could support them well enough. And so their new spiritual family took upon the task of supporting these widows by providing food for them. James would later tell us that the essence of pure religion is to support widows and orphans in their time of need. We get that from the example of the early church as, as they set out as a new spiritual family in Christ to take care of these women who were in need within their faith family. It was almost an early form of of first century Meals on Wheels as they began to gather together and provide food for these widows. But the problem was that right after this began, cultural and ethnic biases began to affect the way the food was being distributed. Now it's important for us to remember as we read this story that all of the people who are followers of Jesus at this point are pretty much Jewish. They all come from different geographic regions and different levels of social stratus. And our passage today gives us two classifications of these Jewish Christians, Hellenists and Hebrews. Now, who are these people? Well, Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews who primarily lived outside of what we know today as Israel. Ethnically, their heritage was Jewish. But they lived in colonies and provinces that were saturated in Greek culture. And so while their religious heritage was Jewish, their cultural heritage was Greek. They primarily spoke the Greek language. They primarily were influenced by Greek culture and philosophy. Yet because of their Jewish heritage, they went often to Jerusalem to celebrate the religious festivals. And it was there that many of them heard about Christ and became followers of Jesus. The Hebrews were Jews who still lived primarily immersed in a Jewish culture. The Hebrew Jews primarily spoke Aramaic, while the Hellenist Jews primarily spoke Greek. And the Hebrew Jews mostly lived around Jerusalem and the region of Galilee. And over the centuries, while while these people would gather together to worship, there were some cultural tensions that existed whenever the Hellenists would come into town to celebrate their, their Jewish religious festivals. There was often tension between those who lived immersed in a, in a Hellenist culture versus those who lived immersed in a Hebrew culture. And now all of these people from these different backgrounds have all become followers of Jesus Christ. And as this challenge arises that there are widows that need to be fed, it was quite likely that, that as they prepared to meet this challenge, that most of the work that was being done was being done by Hebrew Jews from the area. They were the ones who were most familiar with, with the widows. They were the ones who were most familiar with where people lived. And so, naturally, they started with those whom they had the greatest personal relationship with. They would begin with those Hebrew widows that they had known and they would begin to distribute food to them and sometimes there wasn't enough food to go around or sometimes it took a long time to get to the Hellenist widows that were at the end of the list. And as a result of that, a dispute arose. These, 
these Hellenist widows began to feel like they were being discriminated against because of their cultural background. Have you ever been in a church when there was a dispute in the church that rose? I have. I've seen and heard some epic church disputes in 30 years of ministry. I've seen churches argue over what furnishings need to be in the new building. And I've seen people come to an impasse because they can't decide what the furnishings are to look like. I've seen churches argue over whether or not the preacher deserves a raise. I've seen churches argue over which Sunday school class has the right to which room in the building. And tragically, I've personally seen one church divide and collapse under an internal argument of, over whether or not people of color should be allowed to attend worship services in that church's building. These are tragic examples of church disputes, and they are reminders to us that, that when the gospel is not central, it becomes entirely possible for us to argue over things that actually don't matter in the kingdom of God. But there are disputes and challenges that naturally arise in the church because the church is being faithful to the gospel and to the Great Commission. That's what happened here. The faithful declaration of the gospel meant that thousands of people from all regions of the Roman world were now united as one. And legitimate needs had arisen that needed to be met. And it's a reminder to me as I, as I meditated on this passage of this thought, and that is that faithful gospel witness will bring future gospel challenges. Faithful gospel witness will always bring future gospel challenges. If we as a church are faithful to the missional mandate of our Lord Jesus, it will mean more people who believe and more challenges in the future. It will mean funding challenges as we seek to fund ministries to accomplish the Great Commission and to reach more people. It will mean programming challenges as we seek to create effective biblical ministries to reach an ever-changing culture. It will mean pastoral care challenges as we seek to minister to the needs of an ever-growing group of people. The reality is that faithful gospel ministry always brings future gospel challenges. And churches that are not faithful to the gospel don't have to face these kinds of challenges. But as we face the inevitable future challenges of the gospel, we must resolve to keep four gospel-centered commitments that we see this church keep in this passage. And the first of those is we must preserve the unity of the church. Whenever we face future gospel challenges, we must be committed to preserving the unity of of the church. You see, this was more than just a case of some older ladies in the church feeling neglected. This conflict had the potential to divide this new movement of disciples of Jesus across ethnic lines. This was a case where the ethnic diversity of the gospel had the potential to cause people to fall back into old cultural habits that were antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is important. It's an important part of the narrative of the book of Acts because Luke is about to show us how the further expansion of the gospel would bring more gospel challenges as ethnic and racial challenges are going to be faced when the gospel goes into Samaria. And all of a sudden, Samaritans coming to believe in Jesus is going to dredge up a whole bunch of, of, of centuries of, of racial tension. Later on, Gentiles would believe the gospel and the church would have to decide can Gentiles be included in the people of God without first becoming ethnically Jewish. Paul would devote an entire book of the Bible in the book of Galatians to show us that the gospel of Jesus Christ shows no ethnic preferences whatsoever. The apostles knew at this particular junction that the unity of the church was at stake. And the easy solution... The practical solution, the solution that probably some of us would have, is, you know what, there's some conflict here. Hebrew Christians, you take care of feeding the Hebrew widows, and Hellenistic Christians, you take care of feeding the Hellenistic widows. That would have been the simple solution, but that also would have been a poor display of the gospel. It would have divided the church instead of united the church. 
And the apostles knew that this was a conflict that had potential to cause disunity. And like them, whenever we face future challenges as a church, we must work to preserve the unity of the church. But we must also protect the priority of the gospel. We must protect the priority of the gospel. There was not only a cultural issue at stake, there was a practical issue at stake too. The growing challenges meant that the apostles had to draw a line and prioritize the needs that they were called to meet first and foremost. That's why they said in verse 2, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In other words, the apostles understood that they were called to something first, and that was the expansion of the gospel through the preaching of the word of God. The The apostles did not say, we are too important to be serving tables. That's not what they said. Instead, the apostles, through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, knew that meeting the logistical challenge of feeding widows would distract them from opportunities to preach and teach the Word of God. And we must remember that no matter what challenges come up inside the church, we must never allow internal challenges to distract from the priority of the gospel. We must preserve the unity of the church. We must protect the priority of the gospel. But we must also, third, provide for legitimate ministry needs. We must provide for legitimate ministry needs in the church. We must provide for widows. Widows need to be cared for. Hungry people need to be fed. Sick people need to be ministered to and prayed for. Grieving people need to be comforted. Confused people need to be counseled. People have deep personal needs both inside and outside the church. And we as the church are called to meet those needs with the love of Christ. And so while we must prioritize the gospel, we can't prioritize the gospel at the sake of not meeting legitimate needs within the body. Which brings us to the fourth challenge that we must commit to. And that is we must produce outlets for believers to serve. If we're going to preserve the unity of the church, if we're going to protect the priority of the gospel, if we're going to provide for legitimate ministry needs, then we must produce outlets for believers to serve. To meet the needs most effectively, we must work internally to provide outlets for believers to serve and to meet the needs of the body of Christ. The church is not designed to be a place where members get served and paid professionals attend to their needs. The church is to be a place where all of the members are empowered to be ministers whose purpose in life is to serve others. That is the nature of the gospel. The apostles recognized this truth immediately and they committed to produce an opportunity for people inside the church to meet this critical ministry need in this very critical hour. And so in you and I, we need to understand the challenge that caused and threatened the mission of the church, and we need to also see how the apostles produced a plan to share the ministry load. Not only do we see this incredible challenge and, and, and the commitments that the apostles made in the midst of this challenge, but we see a very wise plan developed by them to share the ministry load. It says in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. We see immediately under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the apostles not only recognized the threat, not only sought to preserve the unity of the church and the priority of the gospel and to meet these legitimate needs, but they created a vehicle through which the church would meet the needs through the people of the church. Under the wisdom and direction of the Holy Spirit, 
The apostles attacked this challenge with a gospel-centered plan that would meet the need and perfectly display the beauty of the gospel and preserve the unity of the church in the process. And as I read this passage this week, I was reminded again that we need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to face the challenges that we face in current church ministry. I'm so grateful that over the course of the last 10 or 11 weeks that we've had the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom all throughout this process as we've, as we've all of a sudden been thrown into a, a situation where there's a whole set of ministry challenges that we didn't expect four months ago. And yet throughout all of that, the Holy Spirit has been faithful to direct us as leaders and as His people to meet these challenges, to, to, to be calling people in the church on a regular basis, to watch as, as some of our Sunday school classes have, have jumped into online technology, even a conversation with one of our, one of our older members of, a church, of our church a couple of weeks ago who during this time was getting together with some friends from his Sunday school class and have kind of started a home group where they've been getting together just to encourage one another. I'm so grateful for the way that our church has responded to the needs through the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now part of this is seen in how we view the challenges that arise in the church. Because we can either view challenges as threats or opportunities. Whenever a challenge arises in the church, our first response is to decide whether this challenge is a threat or whether it's an opportunity. We can either see challenges in the church as threats to our personal comfort, or we can see them as opportunities to respond with gospel faithfulness. The apostles did not approach this challenge as a threat, but they approached it as an opportunity for the church to display the beauty of the gospel in the midst of cultural diversity. Their plan was a great example of meeting the logistical challenges before them with spirit-infused wisdom. They decided that the church themselves should prayerfully choose seven men. They didn't say, we think these seven guys ought to, ought to take care of this responsibility. They said, church, you pray, and among you, you choose seven men. And we'll give them this task. They were to choose seven men among themselves who had displayed the example that they were full of the Spirit and wisdom. They were to be men whose life was a demonstration that the Holy Spirit led them and that they relied on the wisdom that the Holy Spirit brings. And these men were to become the logistical problem solvers. These seven men that they choose were not apostles. They had no personal titles within the church. They were not even called deacons, although I believe that they serve as the forerunner of the model that we see for the future office of deacon within the church. These men demonstrated that the primary role of lay leaders in the church is to be servant leaders whose primary purpose is to meet ministry needs with spirit-infused wisdom. And this solution establishes and demonstrates two critical truths that still characterize faithful New Testament churches today. And the first of those is that leaders should stay focused on the gospel essentials of prayer and the Word. In New Testament churches, leaders, pastors, and elders, and shepherds, their primary purpose is to stay focused on the gospel essentials of prayer and the Word. The apostles turned the logistical duties of pastoral care to these servant leaders so that they could stay focused on the most important duties of faithful shepherds and leaders. And that is the proclamation of the word of God and leading the church in prayer. These are gospel essentials. And one of the primary qualities that later developed of those who were known as elders in the first century church that distinguished them from deacons and other positions in the church was that elders are called to be people who faithfully teach the word of God. I have to remind myself all the time that the primary purpose of a pastor, my job as a pastor, my primary calling is to faithfully proclaim the word of God and to help the church stay centered around the word of God and prayer. 
Now the apostles knew that people were looking at them to help lead and to help solve these problems that were arising. And that's the reason why the church went to the apostles when the challenge arose. But the apostles knew that there was something else that was just as important, and that was that others should use their spirit-empowered gifts to serve. The apostles knew that it would become very easy for them as church leaders to get heavily focused on meeting legitimate internal needs that had arisen within the church. But they also knew that the Spirit of God had equipped and gifted others in the church to meet those needs when they arise. They knew that the Spirit had gifted some people with the gift of mercy and gifted some people with the gifts of help and some people with the gifts of administration. They knew that God gives gifts to each person so that the whole body has a way of serving one another. And so they demonstrate early on this principle. And Paul will allude to this principle later on. Acts chapter 6 is a beautiful demonstration of what Paul would write in in Ephesians chapter 4. He tells us this in Ephesians 4, that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. God gave these positions of of apostolic leadership and elder leadership in the church to equip the saints to do the work of ministry so that the body of Christ is built up until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then later on in that passage, Paul says these words that we as the church, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly. Apostles understood that God had called them as leaders to to be devoted to the essentials of the word and prayer and that God had gifted others in the church to serve and that they needed to find a way to to bring those who had the gift of logistical problem-solving and administration to the forefront so that they could develop a plan to solve this task and so that they could empower people who were gifted with the gifts of mercy and helps to be able to meet those needs. That's what we want in the church. We want each part working properly, and each part working properly means each person serving according to the way the Spirit has gifted them. But third, I want us to see the continual spread of effective gospel witness. I want us to see not only the challenge that threatened the mission, and I want us to see not only the plan that was developed to share the load, but I want us to see that the result of this plan was the continued spread of effective gospel witness. It would have been very easy for us to come to this point in the narrative and find out about these Hellenistic widows being neglected and the dispute that arose and the conflict that ensued and the meeting that the church had. And it would be very easy for us to read in verse 7 that as a result of it, the Hellenist widows went their way and the Hebrew widows went their way. And that would have been a tragedy. But instead we see wise leaders establishing a spirit-infused plan and meeting the challenge with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and empowering others to serve. And as a result, we see the continued spread of effective gospel witness. In verse 7, the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Verse 7 is critical because it demonstrates to us that when we meet the inevitable ministry challenges that come up with spirit-infused wisdom and biblical faithfulness, the result is not only a resolution to the challenge, but an expansion of the gospel witness of the church. This challenge had the potential to completely disrupt the reputation and witness of these early disciples, but instead it served as a vehicle, a display of gospel unity, and a vehicle that drew even more people to the message of Jesus Christ. And the same is true for us today. If we respond to ministry challenges with spirit-infused wisdom and biblical faithfulness, I believe that the result will be the expansion of the gospel and future evangelistic fruit. 
And I think that perhaps one of the reasons why our church hasn't seen the expansion and the fruit that we would like to have seen up to this point is because in, in, in all probability we have responded to some past challenges poorly. Perhaps we've used human wisdom rather than the wisdom of the Spirit and the results have been less than satisfactory. I believe that God has a powerful plan for Central Park Baptist Church to be a missional force here in the city of Decatur and beyond. And I believe that if we respond like the early church did, we will see the results that the early church saw. And those results are that God's Word will expand. The Bible tells us the Word of God continued to increase. And my prayer as pastor is that God's Word will continue to saturate us and shape us as disciples of Jesus. And I pray that we will always know exactly how to turn to the Word of God to respond to the challenges we face. Challenges like what we face this week as we've seen this, this, this critical crisis and this critical moment in our nation. And my prayer is that as we seek to respond, that we don't respond with, with posts that come off of some media site, but we respond with posts that come from God's Word. I pray that we will become a people who continually speak the Word of God and not our personal opinion to the people around us. I believe that many of us are feeling what the prophet Amos said in Amos 8, 11, that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek a word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. I believe that our nation is experiencing a famine of the word of God and that they need to hear the word in this day. The word of God, may it expand. But secondly, we will also see that as we stay faithful, that disciples are multiplied. The natural result of the expansion of the word of God among us will result in the expansion of disciples of Jesus among us as well. Understand this, it's the nature of the gospel to result in the multiplication of disciples. It's the nature of the gospel to result in multiplication. And so when the gospel is rightly believed and rightly practiced, it will result in more and more people sharing their faith and more and more lost people coming to Jesus. Not only will the Word of God expand and not only will disciples multiply, but we see eventually opponents will become allies. I love how Luke carefully inserts this final point that this expansion of disciples began to include some of the Jewish priests as well. These were some of the same people who had come upon Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 and arrested them for disturbing the temple. They opposed the message of the gospel when they first heard it. But the longer they observed the followers of Jesus, the more some of them began to open up to the message of the gospel. And one of the most beautiful truths about the gospel is its ability to make spiritual brothers and sisters out of people who once stood in opposition to one another. I think of the testimony of people like Chuck Colson and C.S. Lewis and Peter Hitchens and Lee Strobel and William Murray, who all grew up rejecting the Christian message, but later embraced Christ. You see, when the Word of God expands and when disciples are multiplied, sometimes those disciples include those who once opposed the very message that we believe. When the church is committed to faithful biblical ministry, God is glorified and disciples are made. And I believe that God has unleashed us as Central Park Baptist Church to be a people who are marked by biblical community, by bold witness, by radical generosity, and by faithful biblical ministry. May God empower us to be that today. In closing, I just want to say to you thanks again for joining us on this live stream. And I want to close us in prayer. And as I do, I want to invite those of you that are watching this broadcast today. Wherever you may be watching, maybe you were invited to watch it by a friend. Maybe one of our church members sent you a link afterwards and said, I hope you would listen to this message from my pastor. And maybe someone's watching this broadcast today and the reality is that you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're a member of a church somewhere. Maybe you've, maybe you've been what would be called a cultural Christian, but you're not a follower of Jesus. 
And today I want to invite you to surrender your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to to repent of your sins and and by faith believe in Jesus Christ and trust in the gospel today. And if you want to do that, if you want to talk to somebody about that, I would like the opportunity to do so. So you'll see on the screen, you'll see my cell phone number. You can call me or text me on that. You can see my email address. And perhaps you need to contact somebody to talk about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I encourage you to do that. Maybe you're watching today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but you know someone in your life who's not. And you want to encourage them to be a follower of Jesus and you want me to pray for them, you can text me or send me an email and I'll be glad to pray for them and potentially talk to them alongside with you. Whatever it is, I encourage anyone who's watching today who hasn't trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior to do so today. Would you join me in prayer as we close out this service this morning? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the power of your word, for the things that we've seen over the last few weeks in the book of Acts as we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not create us to be a church that exists as as just a a religious country club, as some organized religion, but God, it unleashes us to be transformed disciples of Jesus Christ who, who, who commit to being the people of God who live in community with one another, who commit to being bold witnesses wherever you send us, who commit to having lives that are marked by radical generosity and who commit to being examples a faithful biblical ministry that when needs arise, that we tackle those needs with the spirit-infused power and gifts that you've given us. And so now I pray, Father, for us as a church that you will do even greater things in Central Park Baptist Church today and beyond. May you call us to do even more than we've ever done before. May you give us new opportunities to share the gospel and to minister the love of Christ to people in our community. May you give us new gospel conversations this week. May you empower us to speak the hope of the gospel into the hopelessness of the culture in which we find ourselves in today. God, we look forward to gathering together as a church family next week. We pray that you will protect our church family this week from this virus and its influence. We pray that you will bring people to the house of God next week as we gather. We pray, Father, that you will use us for your glory and your honor and your power in these days. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Uh, We will be live streaming again next week when we have people in the building as well. So if you join us again by live stream, we'll see you next week. I will be doing uh, my typical Facebook Live on Wednesday night, so we encourage you to do that as well. We also are still taking up uh, donations for some of the local area food banks that we're, that we're working with. We had a, a great time Thursday night as several people in the church came and brought goods and many others came throughout the week and left them in the church office. You can do that this week. Our church office will be open during normal office hours and you can bring those things up this week and we will be distributing those next week as well. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you next Sunday.